everybody. Hello. This is uh, this is Apple Treats. Yeah. Hello, uh, Chris. Hello, Irina. We have really, really great guests today. We uh, we were actually waiting for this for some time, and we were able to uh, fit the schedule. And uh, today's episode will be. Uh, obviously on uh, Swift <laughs> and uh, maybe some other Swift related topics. Uh, welcome, Chris. We are really proud. Uh, we're really happy you uh, were able to get to us. And um... Yeah, thanks for having me. Likewise. Uh, so thanks for coming again. And um, let's start from the beginning. How did you get into development? What's your story? Um, I was always fascinated by computers. We never really had like a modern one, but I think when I was 13, maybe, or 12, my parents got a, a, a fairly modern computer and I don't know, like I couldn't help it. I just had to figure it out. Um, this was, I think, um, before even Windows 95, I remember going through all the folders on the entire hard drive, seeing what, what was there, just exploring and I slowly started getting into programming. Uh, a friend made a script that could change the wallpaper on boot. And uh, that's sort of what, what got me started. I found that fascinating that you could control these machines. And um, yeah, I had a really hard time understanding everything because everything was in English. And uh, that was very difficult for me. And when I turned like, I don't know, 18 or 16, and when I learned some more English in school. I, I also learned that I'd been pronouncing every single word wrong, but uh, uh, I figured it out somehow. And uh, yeah, that's how I got started. And then sort of so got into building websites. And at some point the iPhone came out and I started looking into that. Um, I just, it's hard for me to not be programming. Like, I mean, I, I do a lot of other stuff. And nowadays with a family, it's a lot less time, but it's still something I always want to do. I need to do almost. And um, yeah, it's it's just something I have to do and I really enjoy. Right. And well, probably most people know you for uh, obc.io and uh, Swift Talk. Can you share a little bit about how it's get to life? Like what's the story behind the obc.io? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so at some point I moved to Berlin and I wanted to go to an iOS conference and there were no English speaking iOS conferences in Berlin. So I figured I'll organize one. So that was UIConf. Uh, I started that, but now it's in, in much better hands. Um, but in the first year, we we sort of started it and, and, and all kinds of people and all kinds of interesting people came to Berlin to speak and to attend. And um, it was really amazing. Like there were all these people who'd never met before and of course some had known each other but so many new friendships and um and like work relationships and all kinds of other stuff happened there and one of the things that happened is that after the conference i sat down there was a hack day um i was too tired from all the organizing to really hack um so i just sat down with florian and daniel and and peter uh, steinberger and florian and daniel and me decided to start a blog and, and after uh, a few more weeks, I convinced them, let's not do a blog, but a magazine, uh, because it was hip at the time. And um, everything sort of came together. We had this uh, really great copy editor, Natalie, who's still working with us today. Um, and she's been amazing um, and, and made really 
it made a big difference, right? Like if you write an article, especially as a non-native speaker, if there's somebody looking over your work and making sure it's understandable and readable and even grammatically correct and all of that. And and we had uh, Jurian, who is a designer, who made this beautiful design design for the first issue. And it sort of um, came out at the right time. It was mostly a lot of luck and a little bit of work. And um, yeah, and and we noticed immediately that people were really waiting for this kind of stuff, like in-depth, long articles. Um, and that's that's what we started with. And after the first issue, we just had to continue. Like there were these expectations and we call, because we called it issue one, people were expecting many more issues. So we just had to do it. Uh, it was definitely a struggle at some times, but, uh, but, but a lot of fun. And uh, would you say that video format now is uh, winning than articles? Um, I don't know. I think it it really depends. Um, and it depends on the person and maybe also even on the face in your life and on what you're trying to learn so or what you're trying to teach. So if I want to learn how to repair my bike, I'd much rather watch a video on YouTube uh, than read a book about it. Um, but for other topics, it's much in better to just first read a book and then experiment yourself um there's no nothing i don't believe you can read every or learn anything really just from reading a book i think with almost everything you have to really practice and put in the time yourself but sometimes it can really help to watch other people do it so one of the one of my hobbies is woodworking uh, i don't have a lot of time for it and i i, I want to do it more but but i do notice that just by looking at a lot of YouTube videos of people building stuff, I learned so much. And um, and it's uh, that's what sort of the idea with Swift Talk as well, where we try to do pair programming and build stuff and, and so that other people can watch how we build stuff. Um, it's not the best way. It's not the only way. It's just one way uh, how people can work together and get something done. And, and I hope like, people can learn something from that and or maybe be entertained by it um i don't think videos are the only way um we're actually today working on on our uh, book advanced swift and updating that uh, for the latest swift version and and a lot of people also really enjoy reading books um and 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 other people want to do like workshops for example uh and and other people just you know to learn something they need to spend time by themselves um learning something and other people just need to get a job done and and sort of learn that way because they have to use this one framework and they figure it out and that's the only way for them to learn and everybody's very different so i think there are so many opportunities um and i don't think videos are the end either i think we'll see more different kinds of learning probably uh, in the future uh, people are experimenting with that, but um, in a programming scene, yeah, I think I forgot the name, but there's somebody called Gary Bernhardt. He teaches a lot of um, JavaScript and also uh, TypeScript and these kinds of things. And he has a super cool online course where you learn, I think, TypeScript. And, and, and it also uses this where you have like exercises and then if you know something you or if you don't know something you get like repetition and all kinds of cool stuff around that so there are so many it's it's an exciting space and there's so many ways to learn and um 
yeah, videos are just one small part of it. Okay, and you have now a series of videos uh, to re-implement SwiftUI. How far are you going to go with it? <laughs> yeah. With um, I don't think we'll re-implement SwiftUI. And what we did is more like an educational re-implementation. So it's more about we try to, to exactly have the semantics of SwiftUI, but we, for example, don't care at all about performance. So our goal uh, originally was to just understand SwiftUI better. So I, I felt like I understand it fairly well or understood it fairly well. And then I started looking into some of the edge cases and I, I, I noticed like, okay, something isn't like my mental model of SwiftUI is broken because it does something that I did not expect. And then as I um, tried more and more, I understood more and more and my mental model was closer to the reality, I think, because I, I mean, I've never seen the source code. Um, but then at some point I was like, well, let's just try to re-implement it and, and, and see how far we can get and, and see why some edge cases are there. And it turns out that there's some weird behavior that's perfectly explainable. If you just look at the code, um, if you explain or if you implement things in a naive or maybe not even so naive way, you just get this emerging behavior that that's, looks kind of weird but makes total sense. Um, so what we did is first we looked at the layout because I think the layout is like this um, not super well understood part of SwiftUI. Like um, the way SwiftUI does layout is very different from from. Um, UIKit, for example, because there's like a phase where SwiftUI proposes a size and a view uh, then can propose sizes to its children or it can accept that proposed size and uh, some views compute their size based on the children, other views um, just do something completely different. And, and we tried to figure this out for every view modifier. And um, yeah, it was it was super interesting because we learned a lot more than we expected. And then at some point, we wanted to do the same thing for state and for like these new APIs like match geometry effects. Well, I guess it's not so new anymore, but was new last year. Uh, and yeah, the one thing I would really like to understand better is animations and transitions. I think I understand them, but sometimes they still surprise me. And I think by re-implementing it, I can take away that surprise. And ideally, we would do it on Swift Talk because then other people can also learn from how how things work and we got a, we got a lot of uh, really fun feedback and we even uh, noticed that some of the things changed and and we made some mistakes of course uh, and yeah it's it's very interesting it's definitely something i can recommend to do and it, it's not super hard you just need time yeah and by the way so those uh, who are listening or watching us live, you can ask questions. We will try to answer them and pass them to Chris, and uh, hopefully he will be able to give uh, you some uh, advices here. So I have one, actually. So from your perspective, what is the most complicated or maybe unintuitive thing in SwiftUI? Yeah, I think uh, one thing that... Well, the layout is something, for example, that... If you look at the examples on, on Apple's website, everything is super simple and people start working with it and everything just works. And then at some point it doesn't. And 
and that's that can be super unintuitive because everything seemed to work just as like like you expect like you have like some text and you do some padding and a border and everything works and and then you need to do something that's not um in the design of swift ui and and all of a sudden like you you have to sort of enter this rabbit hole like um everybody who's done more than a little bit of of swift ui will notice like you need a geometry reader, you need preferences, you need on preference change. And it's like all of a sudden things become super complicated. So there's like this very um, easy learning curve. It's like, it's basically flat. And then all of a sudden there's like this, this, uh, this vertical wall that you have to climb. Um, I think that's, and, and, and yeah, I would say that's one of the hardest parts. Also, a lot of people struggle with the declarativeness Um and yeah, I think to really work effectively with Swift UI, you have to really understand how it's working almost. Um, not how it's implemented, but you have to understand a lot. Um, but you can get started without understanding anything and you can get stuff done quickly. Um, and, and sort of making that or bridging that gap is not always easy. So you really have to go out of your comfort zone. And, and there's not a lot of great documentation around this, at least not from Apple um, in, in yeah crossing that that gap. Well, they actually do more documentation for the Swift UI than they were doing like previously. It's like significant change, but yeah, yeah. probably not not enough. No, yeah, it's they like the tutorials are amazing. Um, but but a lot of the what's sort of missing is a lot of the conceptual documentation. Why is it like this? How is this supposed to work? And, and the community, uh, we figured it out. Um, but um, I think a lot of that stuff should have come from, from the source basically, but right. <laughs> um, there, there is one really great talk called the mystifying Swift UI at uh, last year's WWDC. And that really clears up a lot. Um, but I, w- I would love to see more stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you like you already have like uh good understanding of the Swift UI? I mean, like being able to uh reimplement the layout system, that's probably one of the hardest things. Uh, like it works perfectly in simple cases, like you understand and it works, but when you try to get into edge cases, you sometimes need to like, yes. uh, shift your mindset, probably. Yeah, so it, your videos, by the way, were like amazingly helpful in terms of getting more to like the, these passes of the layout and everything. But like if we're, you were on the Swift UI team, would you propose to change something maybe like even fundamentally? Like, do you have something in mind which could, would you would like to change in Swift UI? Yeah, probably. Um, but I don't know if it's such a good idea. Like I, I don't have anything concrete in mind, but I remember um when apple k like when we were all doing objective c and i was really hoping that apple would come out with something like maybe some something more like small talk and then they came out with swift which completely blew me away and this was so much better than i could have imagined and i think it's the same with swift ui like i can absolutely see some improvements like for example one of the things that's hard to do today is if you want to have um, four buttons with different texts and you want to all make them as wide as the widest text. Um, that's super hard. You need geometry readers and preferences and everything. Um, and I have some solutions for how you could make that easier. But what I noticed over the years is that 
if I just wait at some point, the engineers at Apple will come out with something <laughs> that's much better than what I could have imagined. And um, I think that's like, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm very humbled. Like I can, I can write about what they do and, and I, I'm, I can re-implement it, but um, I, and I even think I have good solutions for some of the problems that people have, but um, typically Apple comes up with much better solutions than I could think of. And I, I like that. Like it's um, I'm happy that the smart people there do their job and, uh, and I do mine. Um, and it's, it's been the same for me with sometimes with building apps. I don't know if you ever had that where you're building something. And, and uh, I had that with, um, with Dexet, for example, this Mac app that we built. Um, we were working with designers and I have a feeling about design and I have thoughts on it, but they just came back with these ideas and designs that just blew me away. Like it was much better than I could even think. Like it was so much, like so much further out there than what I could imagine. And and it's, I, I, I really like it when you have that kind of stuff in work where, um, yeah, right. where people just amaze you. I, I would actually would want Apple to, uh, give us a guide in terms of how to make proper navigation through the uh, yeah. iOS applications on the Swift UI and probably macOS as well. But there is no, they have like uh, like navigation link or everything. But there is there should be a way of making the nav- navigation in a proper way. There should be some example like showing that this is the intended way. And I believe it seems that they might also need to like find it or maybe invent in next release i mean it it seems that they they do not have something like that in mind right now i'm not sure i I don't know exactly how yeah how it works but i wish that i i also wish it was simpler and and (laughs) better understood yeah and uh what about uh, changes uh in swift in general so swift usually uses uh, runtime features of objective c how do you think uh, does it it, uh, does it uh, need its own features time i think so a lot of the stuff is sl- slowly going away right like for example key paths where this objective c only feature where you basically had a string and now um swift has its own key path since swift 4 and and it's slowly changing like introspection um is not really quite there yet uh, if you want to have um uh let's say if you want to work with core data, you have to subclass NS managed object, and that uses uh, all the runtime programming, and and the same with um, NS sort descriptor, and and even today there's this new thing I think in in the latest Swift where or in the latest foundation where there's sort descriptor without the NS, and it uses normal Swift key paths, but it only works for objects. You can only sort objects and not sort structs in an array, for example. So um yeah swift definitely needs his own story and and sometimes the answer is runtime programming like in swift we have mirror where you can introspect some types um and often the answer can be also something completely different like um when we wrote the book advanced swift uh, my co-author ben came up with this idea to create sort descriptors just using functions so NS sort descriptor and 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 the foundation sort descriptor heavily rely on runtime programming, and Ben wrote this implementation where it's all functions that compose and all just generic types, 
and and that can also be a solution sometime and sometimes and i think it's much nicer um but that's also because it fits my kind of style of thinking um runtime programming is something that a lot of people also really enjoy um so i guess the short answer is uh, yes mm. swift does need some more runtime features because some things are impossible to do without that but also sometimes there are different solutions um, and we don't need to use runtime programming we can use um, things like key paths and functions and uh, generics and protocols um, so it's it's hard to answer in general yeah 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 um you well your uh, witnessing like the grow uh, growth of swift uh, probably from the like from the first announcement and how it evolves uh, do you think that swift uh, first of all should it be like universal language for uh, all platforms outside the apple ecosystem and if so what do we need to make it so i mean like we still see like for example even the kotlin which is like language for the java uh, world it get it tries to get like outside with kotlin native and everything and do you think like swift should be in the same place and uh like what do we need to make it so it would be really cool um i don't know if it happens i think still swift is probably perceived by many people outside of the apple ecosystem as being an apple thing and and people might not want that like people might not even realize like it that it runs on linux um or that it runs fairly well on linux even uh, but but yeah it's hard um i think apple is putting in some effort but but it's also clear that they have a lot of other priorities and and so that means that some that the community needs to step up and and it's there have been some individuals who've been doing amazing stuff um like uh, like the Tokamak UI where Max Desiatov ported, basically ported Swift UI to the web um, and, and, and all the web assembly stuff there. Um, I forgot the name. There's somebody who ported Swift to Windows, um, but this is mostly individuals or maybe, I don't know, maybe some of these are sponsored by companies um, and some of the community stuff, but there's no big companies that have a stake in, in getting Swift UI to be cross-platform. Um, they used to be IBM, of course, but they sort of pulled out. Um, so it's it's kind of tough. Like for Swift developers, it's really nice that we can also run our code on other platforms. We, for example, uh, rewrote our Swift Talk backend in Swift, and it runs on Linux, on Heroku, and it's completely um, painless. It's really nice to have that all that code in Swift. And we were inspired by the people from Point Free who did that for their server. Um, and, and yeah, it's really cool that it works. There were some strange bugs, uh, in Swift for Linux and some of them have not been fixed for years. Um, but, uh, you can work your way around it and, and it's fine. Um, but it's not something like I would, I don't know if I would recommend it to people who are not also invested in the Apple ecosystem. Like for me, it's just another, like if I, if I want to deploy a server somewhere and, it's hard, right? Like, because you can write the code, maybe you write like a server in Ruby, um, but then you have to maintain it and you have to keep on top of all the all the dependencies and all the stuff and on the language and if stuff changes and if there's security updates. Um, it's the same with Swift, but I'm already inside the Swift uh, ecosystem. So 
it's much easier for me to to deal with that than dealing with like a second language um so yeah it's i would love to to see more swift out there i i tried to run swift on my raspberry pi and and it sort of worked but then other things broke um it's kind of yeah who knows um maybe now that that the macbooks are starting to move to arm and maybe all the other computers as well um things will be a little bit easier but but we'll see i think yeah it's so the, one of the other things is that Swift is so coupled to foundation and and while there is core foundation, the re-implementation um, or the open source re-implementation, uh, a lot of, of that stuff is not very polished yet and not as battle tested as the real foundation. So I don't know. We'll see. It's it's If there's one thing I'm good at, it's uh, or um, no, if there's one thing I'm bad at, uh, it's predicting the future. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> I don't want to make any predictions about what what's going to happen uh, around that because I know I'm I'm pretty bad at that. Yeah. Well, we have one question uh, from the audience uh, that was sent to us. Uh, um, so, if you're able to, what kind of uh, what what part of Swift UI uh, source code you would like to see? How, like the implementation details. Is there something which you would like, like for your personal experience? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I, I've spent the most time on re-implementing the layout system, so I would love to see how that actually works, um, and and especially the implementation of stacks, um, and, and and also the implementation of flexible frames. Uh, I managed to re like as far as I know, there are no um, differences in behavior between our implementation and and SwiftUI, um, but it's still it's. So, kind of a weird implementation that we have. And I'm sure there's a good reason for why it works the way it does. Um, so I would love to see that, uh, who knows, one day. <laughs> right. Um, so you described your vision of uh, how Swift can uh, like uh, displace or can't displace other languages, but uh, on other platforms. But how do you think can uh, some cross-platform technology displays native, like uh, Kotlin multi-platform or React native or Flutter. Can it uh, like win? Yeah, I think it can win. Um, I don't see it happening, um, but um, who knows, right? Like if people have a big advantage when they use React, um, they can totally. I think it can totally um, blow away uh, native apps. But that said. Um, people have been saying this for years and it never happens. Um, I kind of, I, I don't, like, I'm skeptical that it will happen, but uh, it's not hard to prove me wrong. Like, if people do it uh, and make it work, then why not? Um, there's still a lot of opportunities there. Um, I do think that uh, the way SwiftUI, like, the whole system around SwiftUI is, um, it's just really good. There's all the type safety, it's very little code that you write. And and the way, like the declarative nature of SwiftUI makes it really hard to make certain kind of bugs um, that were much harder or much easier to make before, like in UIKit. Um, if you compare SwiftUI to something like uh, React Native, um, I think the types really help. And, and I know there's TypeScript, but still like, 
there's a lot of safety and there's a lot of uh, performance that's much harder to get with a dynamic language like JavaScript um, and its variants. And so I'm pretty positive about native apps staying there. Um, but, you know, um, what's it called? I think Figma, right? That's that's all um, a web app and that's supposedly super well done. And, and um, what... What I heard about it, I don't know really, but what I heard about it is that it just it takes as much time as writing a native app uh, to write a really good cross-platform app or web app. So um, I think that's sort of the key. Um, I think everything is possible, uh, but probably it's just easier to to do native apps if you want to do it really well. Um, if you want to get something out quickly, probably cross-platform apps can help or cross-platform uh technologies can help but it's probably harder to make something really good and, and i don't think it's impossible at all but um yeah for me i've just been focusing on swift and swift ui and 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 i see a very bright future there but um who knows uh what, what will happen yeah uh, uh, you talked about uh, safety but uh, do you miss uh, this extreme unsafe behavior of uh, Objective-C? Do you have any nostalgia? No, I don't miss it uh, at all. I, so, so what happened with me personally is I was um, in university and I was studying functional programming and, and specifically Haskell, which is like the opposite of Objective-C. It's super typed and everything is safe, basically almost everything. Um, and... Um, and then I was making money writing Objective-C. And it was, it, it was a little bit hard for me at times. Like at sometimes I was writing Objective-C and I felt sort of like I had seen the light with Haskell, you know? Um, and then and then I had to write Objective-C, but I love the, the the platform and 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 writing apps uh, for, for my phone. So um, I always wished Objective-C was a little bit more towards Haskell and I never could even dream of something like Swift that it would be like um that you could have both basically. Um no, I don't I don't miss that at all. And with Swift it is actually possible to do a lot of low level stuff. Like um we we uh like wrapping C libraries. Like it's I don't know, it's it's kind of cool. Like there's these really amazing C libraries out there, for example, for parsing markdown or um for parsing XML or whatever, like data processing. And you, with just a little bit of work, you can wrap it in Swift and you have you can add a tiny type safe API around it. And then all of a sudden you have the best of both worlds. Like you have this battle tested low level code and you have a beautiful type safe API. Um, and I think that's just really cool. Um, so no, I don't miss... Objective C at all. The only thing I miss is when I do fire up, uh, like open up an an old Objective C project. It's just you, you press Command R and you just blink and it's built. Uh, that was nice. I wish, uh, like, well, maybe in ten yeah. years, I'll keep dreaming. Um, do, do you think you might uh, change the domain name of your site? I mean, like, you still have Objective C there, and uh, like, probably for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. We in, so Swift.io was immediately taken after the oh, announcement, yeah. um, and we thought of it. I don't know. Uh, I guess Swift Talk is already like a little bit more its own brand. Um, yeah. But I've definitely heard of people who did not want to buy a book 
like people told me that other people did not want to buy her book because the, it was a book about Swift and the first word on the cover says Objective C. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, it's, well, you know, it's, right. I guess it's okay. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to change a name. Uh, if if you have a good suggestion, yeah. let me know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and by the way, that like, that brand is already there. I mean, we, we all know that the Swift Talk is there specifically. Yes, exactly. And, um, I have one more question on Swift actually, and that comes from recent discussions on Twitter. There is some like uh, talks about the distributed actor concept, uh, which is pitching uh, right now, and one of the uh, motivation behind that that this might change the way how we write swift code so it might change the uh, like look and feel of the apps even if you're not using the distributed uh, part of that but it seems that it might still uh, have some effect on that from your perspe- uh, perspective will it i mean like is it something really that important maybe yeah it's hard to it's hard to say um i think so I, I guess Erlang was one of the first languages that really did this well. And it just opens up a whole different set of possibilities of what you can do with a language. And um, I'm kind of curious if there's like a bigger reason behind this, because in um, before Swift came out, like all of a sudden some new features started coming to Objective-C. And, and likewise, before SwiftUI came out, um, new features started coming to Swift and then Swift came out and it was like, ah, a Swift UI came out yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. everybody was like, ah, now we see why this is there. And I wonder if there's something like that behind the distributed actors or maybe not. Um, I have absolutely no information. Um, like I could imagine like um, with a lot more cores or maybe there's a future where we have just multiple machines or lots of machines everywhere um maybe apple will at some point come up with a story where um you have something like iCloud but programmable um where you or where you can upload swift containers uh, sort of like docker or whatever um and then this could become more important um it's kind of hard to say but and and also i don't really understand it yet uh, i i browsed through the proposal for for distributed actors but it'll take more than just uh, a, a light reading to understand it. Yeah. The one thing I do believe is that async await is going to make a huge difference in how we how we write Swift code. Um, I've been playing yeah. around with it and I think it's beautiful. Like async await and also async sequences are really cool. And um, I absolutely believe that in a few years, um, a lot of the code we write now we will feel super outdated. Um, because of async await, um, like it, it just it can simplify a lot of things, and and at the same time it's tricky. Like um, with async await and with actors, uh, there are definitely some behaviors that really surprised me, and that I am pretty sure will surprise a lot of people. Um, but we'll see uh, what 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 will happen. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. I do think it, it's going to change a lot. Um, so that's the one part I'm really excited about. And it's the same people or yeah, the same group of people who are also doing the distributed actor stuff, I think. So it's probably just, it's going to be really cool. Um, but let's see how, how we can use it. Uh, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that that's that's some interesting uh, happening. And from the even from the actors, uh, there are a lot of discussions that the actor concept is probably not for the like UI facing applications. It's something like more related to the like safe server programming, something like that. And uh, like it's not to make sure that you will be running code on the main thread. That's like yeah. probably there's something more behind the actors rather than like using the main actor for your uh, UI classes. So probably that might be something uh, something uh, about that. So, uh, well, there is a question uh, again from, from our team. Uh, you like you write books, <laughs> you do uh, educational videos. So what inspires you to, to do that? So what's, um, why? Yeah, it's, it's actually, so the first, so yeah, let, let's go back to when Swift came out. Um, so this is, for me personally, we'd been doing Objective-C.io, the magazine for a while, uh, just for fun. And, and then Swift came out and I realized um, that you could do all this functional programming all of a sudden. And in Objective-C, it wasn't really possible, at least not with the type safety and everything and with the nice short code. So I got really excited and I managed to convince Florian, um, who was doing Objective-C that I owe with me, and also Wouter, who is this um, functional programming professor at Utrecht University. And I was like, we need to tell people about this. Like, it's so cool. And 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 that was my biggest motivation. And then it turned out that you can actually make a little bit of money with the book. Like, I think if I would have a job, I would probably make more money. But I really enjoy it. Like I make enough money to live off of doing Objective-C that I owe. Um, and, and it's just so much fun. Like um, with SwiftUI, it was the same. I At first, it was like this weird thing. And I started exploring it and, and realized, okay, we need to really rethink the way we write apps because it's so different from UIKit. So as we explored more and more, we, we realized like we need to tell people about this. Like there's a lot of cool stuff. And at the same time, this is basically undocumented. So we need to tell people about how this works and how they can write cool stuff with this. And um, it's sort of a mix of excitement. Yeah, well, it's mostly excitement. Um, there are a lot of books I could write potentially. Like I have so many ideas, but we basically are have the luxury that we can choose what is the most exciting to us um, and write about that. Um, and yeah, that's sort of uh, the motivation for me. Um, and if I ever feel like I don't want to write about something, I, I won't. Like it's not, uh, I don't feel like I have to do this or it's just that I want to share the cool stuff with people. Uh, yeah. And, and it's sort of self-reinforcing because once you get into that, um, like you have the time to explore deeper. Uh, and and so most people just need to write their apps and they need to get it done and then they have a bug and they need to fix it. Um, and and I have the luxury that if, if there's something in SwiftUI that I don't understand, I don't need to fix it or find a workaround. I can actually take the time and, and explore it. And, and it's so cool. Like I really enjoy that. Like with the, with the layout, like, who has the time yeah. to re-implement the layout system? Like <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy that I get that time, get to work on that, and and um, yeah. So so it's sort of I, I I learn about the layout system, and then 
I, I, I see all these interesting edge cases and, and I just want to tell people about it, like how this works and um, um, so that they don't have to go through that same pain of learning all of that. Uh, or I guess it's not just pain. It's mostly a lot of fun, but it's painful when you're actually trying to solve bugs. Um, so yeah, that's sort of my motivation. So it's very nice motivation that you just want to share knowledge with people and you enjoy it. <laughs> and uh, you already were reasoning today that a learn learning curve, curve is not linear usually. Mm. It's like with the gaps. And when you're trying to learn something and understand, it goes not linear. But uh, maybe you can uh, recommend something uh, to beginners who want to start with iOS development, uh, what to start with to make like uh, the angle of their curve more like higher. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, do they need to learn some objectives that you don't miss at all? <laughs> I think, um, so I cannot speak for all beginners, but for me, the way I learn best is just by having sort of something I want to make and then figuring out how to do it. So instead of, like I never had the ambition necessarily to be be an iOS developer. I just wanted to write an app uh, and then another app and then another app and then all of a sudden I was an iOS developer. And and I think that's that could be one way to to learn. So just speaking to like a younger version of me, I would say just, you know, try to figure out what you want to build um and then and then you'll notice that there's like a huge gap probably in your knowledge of what you like you you know what you want but you have no idea how to do it um and what i did first was read very broadly so try to to read all kinds of blogs and and articles and stack overflow and what have you and see if there's anything that sort of keeps repeating um like if you, in ui kit days for example you would see the word view controller everywhere so I would try to figure out what is a view controller. Um, and then there, yeah, there are a lot of blogs that are sort of aimed at beginners and they're really easy to find. Most of them have really good SEO um, and, and you can do stuff from there. Um, and then there's these days like, uh, or these things like 100 Days of Swift UI, I think, by Paul Hudson. Like that's also a great way to learn if your goal is just learning. Um, but for me, I always found it best to have like an actual sort of product that I want to make in mind, even if it's just an app for myself or if it's a Mac app or like a command line tool. Uh, if there's something I want to make, I'll see if I can figure out a way to to build it. And And of course, if you're a beginner, it's hard to judge whether your idea is even realistic at all because you might want to make um, something where you you need to end up implementing complete artificial intelligence uh but but and and it's very hard like to 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 judge this if you don't know what you don't know um and another thing that can really help if you if you have that possibility is to find people who can who can either mentor you or give you tips in in any kinds of ways so for like it's of course it's now the covid time but um there's a lot of meetups and conferences where you can go. Like most of the meetups are all, uh, free um, and conferences usually cost money, but not all of them. And and sometimes there are also there are tickets for people who are beginners or who have no, no experience. Um, and 
that's another really good way to find people. Um, even today, um, when there are no meetups, a lot of meetups will still have a mailing list and you can ask people and maybe you can uh, get an email contact with somebody or, or a chat contact or maybe just meet one person uh, at a coffee shop or wherever. Um, I think that's also a, a really good strategy. Um, or see if you can find a job somewhere where you're basically a beginner. Um, but yeah, for me, it was just always this this kind of wanting to to explore and wanting to make something. Um, and then, yeah, you have to be careful because you can get down a rabbit hole. Like I wanted to to build this app for running routes. Uh, like we have all these marked trails here and I wanted to just, um, well, I had all this GPS data and then I, somebody asked me, yeah, can you just make like um, that I click on this one part of the route and I click on a different part and it has to navigate me there. So I had to implement a lot of um, computational geometry stuff. I, I thought it would be not super hard, but I ended up like doing a really deep dive into all these algorithms. Ultimately, like the code I wrote was pretty simple, but I had to spend a lot of time finding the right algorithm and finding the right implementation and all of that. Um, and But I learned so much along the way. Um, so yeah, I I also really enjoyed that. Um, but I guess it's it's different for everybody. This is what, what sort of works for me, but um, other people just like reading open source code or um, or reading a lot of books first. Um, so yeah, it's sort of... Yeah. The first tip would be to figure out how you learn best yourself and then just apply it. <laughs> right. Uh, um, you talked about uh, uh, the, uh, a lot of blogs and mailing lists, and uh, it's really a uh, huge amount of information in the internet. And how not to lost in it? Maybe uh, you can uh, name some um, mailing lists that are good. How to, the best way to be up to date in this like very dynamic world because oh. um, uh, some resources are really not the best like um, messy or yeah <laughs> you know it's tough i don't really know um there's a lot of good stuff out there but also yeah like you say a lot of bad stuff um i noticed in the recent years there have been more blogs who were basically trying to get clicks um also I've noticed with some blogs that there's a consistent bad advice or not very good advice. Um, I don't really know like uh, how to how to give a good answer to that question. Um, I think, um, yeah, I, I I think it's just with everything you see on the internet, you have to think critically yourself. Like that's the only w way. But even then, I mean, who has the time to, Think critically about everything. Um, I would say ask ask friends or ask people you know what they think is good. Um, and if you ask like 10 people, that's always going to be a lot better than the advice that I can give you, for example. Um, and yeah, um, I don't know. No, it's, it's hard to say. Like uh, even like on Stack Overflow, there's so much bad stuff on there, but there's also so many good tips on there. Um, and yeah. It's it's a tough question to answer. Sorry. Right. We have one more question, and that won't be too technical. Not technical at all, actually. We know that you uh, run, <laughs> that you run marathons. 
Yes. Any hints for those who are like trying to get into that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, if you're starting as a runner, I know a lot of people uh, who want to start running and they ask me uh, sometimes like, yeah, what training schedule do I need to follow? What, what shoes do I need to buy? And um, I think uh, these things become important if you want to be serious about running, but for people who want to start running, I think um, there are two super important things. The first one is to have fun running. Um, and the second part is to not overdo it. And and these are, they, they, they are very related because a lot of people think like, well, like everybody runs marathons these days. So, you know, like I can run a 5K, for example, like that should be easy. Um, and and they start just running for half an hour or maybe an hour or maybe even 20 minutes. And if you're new to running, that's uh, could be super dangerous. It depends on your on your body, uh, on your body type, on your age, on your experience with sports. Like there are people who run a half marathon out of nothing um, and other people who struggle to run even for 30 seconds or 20 seconds. So the thing I always recommend for people who are absolutely like getting started is just find somebody to run with and run little, like run, like, I don't know, like do, do 40 minutes and do 10 times 10 seconds at the beginning or 20 seconds and, and the rest you walk and just so that you don't overdo it so that you feel afterwards, like it was nice and you didn't hate it because if you hate it, you're not going to do it again. And the only thing you can get better at running is by doing lots of it. And the only way to do lots of it is to build it up really slowly. Um, you have to, run a little bit and then sort of your muscles get damaged because of that. Then you have to recover and, and your muscles grow and then you can try again. And, and it's not just the muscles, of course, also the aerobic system and all of that. Um, but you have to make sure that you want to do it again and again and again and again. And at some point after like maybe half a year or maybe for some people it's a few weeks or maybe it, it's like two years, but at some point you'll notice like I'm much fitter and everything is easier. And, and um, I run a lot these days and I notice that this trend keeps on going. Like the more you run, the fitter you feel and the easier the rest of life is like um, it's, it's sometimes it's very hard. Like if you go out for a race and you're super tired or you have like this super intense training session and you, you come home super tired, but um so the, in the long run, you get really, um, I think it, it has a lot of benefits and it's not for everybody. Like some people keep trying and they, they do everything right, but they just don't enjoy it. And and I would recommend to find a different sport. Like there's so many cool things you can do, um, whether that's um, simple, like simple stuff like running, biking, weightlifting, but, but other people like more dynamic stuff or like complicated sports or team sports. Um, yeah. And, and if you want to, if you're a runner and you want to get better, what worked for me is just running more. Uh, I sort of discovered that for myself only a few years ago, I didn't really know it was an option to run a lot. I always thought like, well, you can run like three times a week and maybe four times, but that's, that's, you can, you cannot really do more because you get injured and it turned out you can run a lot more if you want to. And if you slowly build it up and, um, that's been a really big source of pleasure for me, like just getting better and better at it. And, and um, 
it's really this thing where I'm, I'm, um, I can basically only compete against myself. Like I will never be anywhere close to like a good runner, like uh, really competitive or anything. Um, even if I would take all the time off and like um, have all the money and, and, and time to train and all the supplies you need, I would never even come close to probably even the, um, being competitive in, in, in the women's field. Um, so for me, it's just this thing that, that I do for myself and, and, and I can try to get, you know, improve myself just a little bit. And, and I really enjoy this, this sort of, um, just like with writing a book, there's this really long, slow process of, of uh, getting better or writing that book. And it just takes ages. But then once you do run the marathon or once you do finish the book, it's also super rewarding. Um, but but the, most of the fun is actually in the process. It's not the running the race itself or, or finishing the book. It's actually uh, writing the book and, and training for the race. Like for me, that's... I, I like getting up in the morning, having that that goal, and like slowly working towards this sort of ar- artificial goal um, that I set myself. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah. Thank you very much. That was inspiring, and uh, I hope uh, we will not be just the developers. We some people will be <laughs> runners too. And runners, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for coming. This uh, was the what. Like, Really interesting episode, and I hope the viewers and listeners were uh, happy too. Um, have a good day. We will be waiting for your next Swift talks, and uh, we'll be watching that. <laughs> Thank and, you. Uh, see you. Thank Bye. you for sharing your thoughts. See you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.